the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. Today we come to the part of Scripture which deals with most the most holy day of the Jewish calendar. Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippur, uh, is the most holiest day in Israel today. You will find that four-fifths, or four out of every five people over there, even if they're secular Jews, still celebrate, if any kind of religious thing, they celebrate Yom Kippur, and the, the Day of Atonement, and we will find how important that is. Many people don't even realize what that means, other than traditionally, they know that that, that was an important in the uh, Old Testament or in the uh, Mosaic law, and many people still today uh, to recognize this, even though, as we will study this, they cannot full-fledged uh, celebrate the, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur because there is no sacrificial of any animal in Israel that stopped uh, long ago. And so, uh, but they still sacrifice by fasting and doing other things to supplement the sacrifice of uh, a part of the day, to, day of Atonement. They refer to it as the day many times in Israel. The Hebrew word for atonement actually means to cover. It's the covering. It's not the uh, wiping away, but the covering. And uh, that's important to recognize as we go through this. The Day of Atonement signified not a cleansing of, this, of sin, but the covering uh, because sin could not be cleansed through the offering of a bull or goat or ram or lamb. It only could cover the sin of the nation or the people. It could never wipe it away and cleanse it completely. It could only be cleansed by the blood of a perfect man. That's the only way, and that is through the life of Jesus Christ. Now here in chapter 16, you will see it kind of divided into three parts. The first part of chapter 16 is all about preparing the priest for this special day, this, this very important day in the Jewish faith here, as God has set it apart for a very only one time a year that the Day of Atonement took place for the nation of Israel. We will see preparing of the place, the tabernacle, and preparing the place for this atonement to take place. We'll see that there in the middle of the chapter 7 through 19 area and then toward the end we will see the preparing of the people uh, of Israel uh, the Jews there in uh, so obviously starting in the in the wilderness and it goes all the way through even to today without the sacrifice we'll see that at the end of the chapter verses 20 through 34 all of this is performed exactly how God wants it to be done Important. They are to do this Day of Atonement exactly the way God is outlining it on the day and the timing and the method, the process. It has to be to the T. There's no deviations in regards to what God said they must do on this day, uh, the Day of Atonement. This is the picture of what Jesus would do as both the high priest and the Lamb of God. As we go through this, remember every time we talk about the high priest did the following, think of Jesus. Every time we think about the sacrifice um, there during this process, 
Think of the Lamb of God who, uh, who is Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed uh, on the cross for us. Now, this illustration, this picture, this, this play, this is a prerequisite or a picture ahead of what was going to take place. This whole day of what they were to do, starting on this first day all the way through, they were to do this in, in memory of what was to come. And that is the coming of the Messiah who would then play out what they're going to describe here in chapter 16. It will play out in real time in and through the life of Jesus Christ. So as, as we go through this, I'm going to bridge those gaps for you. If you're not making those, we're going to bridge those gaps to see Jesus all the way through this, all the way to the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here in Leviticus 16 verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy, the holy place inside the veil, which is the holy of holies. That's what he was referring to there, where the Ark of the Covenant is placed and the presence of God is. Before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For, notice that, uh, for I, I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Those are important because so many times we just say it's just the Shekinah glory. It's the, the presence of God. But he is going to show up in the cloud that is hovering over the mercy seat which is the sets on top, it's the lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which is located in the Holy of Holies, which is in the back portion of that tabernacle or the temple when they built it. And so you have to have, an, you know, have that picture. You can always go back and, and look those up to see what the um, art, artist rendition of the tabernacle. So you can go back and look at that as you further study. But what's important here, he starts off here. The Lord speaks to Moses, who then speaks to his brother Aaron, who is the high priest, and says, you better learn from what your two sons did because that resulted in death. Because they didn't do it my way resulted in death. Because see, they think they could just do it on their own. We don't know why they did it. We don't know what and, 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 you know, stimulated them to do things what they did. But obviously they came in with profane fire. Which means they went through onto the other side of the veil that separated from the, from the, uh, you know, the outer room of the holy place to the holy of holies. They went in the inside of that which was clearly told to them only the high I preach your dad is the only one who's allowed to go in there and they being young guys thinking proud you know be you know let us get the incense we can do this we're better than probably dad we know better than dad dad's old fat he doesn't know what he's doing whatever it was in their mindset the pride was not good because that resulted in him going on the other side of that veil and they they they, they died god just took them out you, you, know, you just don't mess around with God. And I, I, as you ponder on these kinds of things, how is it today that people think you can just come to God however you want to? Whenever you want to. Ah, whatever, I'll choose when I want to choose. It is your choice. But be very wise in your choice because you may not have only the one choice that God opens and reveals himself to you. How do you know you have tomorrow? 
Why would you wait to come to Jesus and surrender your life to him when he gives you an opportunity today? You have no guarantee for salvation tomorrow. How many times you're, you're, you're a born-again believer? You've been regenerated. You are a believer. You're a child of God. You know you have the promise of heaven in, in your future. But why do you think as a Christian, as a, a child of God, that you can just boldly do what you want to do, when you, whenever you want to do, and whatever time you want to do it, in regards to how you want to come to God? I mean, <laughs> where's, the, where's the pride in that? You don't sound any different than the two sons. So he says right up front, Lord tells Moses, you better tell Aaron, your brother, to remind him that you just can't come any time into the holy place inside the veil. There's a very specific way he has to do that. Because uh, uh, Nadab and, and Abahu, Abihu uh, were struck down by the Lord because they violated God's law by going into the holy place and offering this profane fire. Go back to Leviticus chapter 10 when we studied that and you can see that part of the story of what took place and see that linkage. But Aaron could not come into the holy place anytime he pleased. But we also understand it's the same thing as too true today that God's holy place at his invitation is a blessing. When he invites you, come, come, follow me, come, give your life to me. He's, he's, he's literally calling you to come in an invitation. The access has been open once you've given your life to him. There's an access now we have into uh, the presence of God. And so tonight as we get through this, understand ultimately, once you give your life to Jesus Christ, understand Jesus died on the cross. When he died on the cross, the veil that separated the outer to the Holy of Holies, that veil, that very thick animal uh, made sheets of uh, of, uh, of, uh, that made up that, that, that veil was ripped from into two from top to bottom, ripped completely, which now allows you and I as a blessing to come into the presence of God as a child of God. We see that in Romans 5 verses 1 through 2, where 1 and 2 specifically says that because Jesus' work on our behalf, we have standing access to God at any time. So don't forget this as we go through the Old Testament. The linkage ultimately what results in for you and I as a believer is we have access to be able to boldly come to God and not have to only can come in once a year in a certain way, but just know that he is open to allowing us to come to him. But as a believer, right? We have to come and we, yes, confess. Yes, we need to get right with God. And he's, he's going to sit there and come on in. But you better be ready to confess and have a repenting heart and anything like that. Be right with God as you come into him so that he hears our prayers and we're not grieving the Holy Spirit in any way. In verses 3 through 5, we see that... Uh, you know, Aaron, thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of the ram as a burnt offering. And he shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. And he shall be girded with a linen sash and with a uh, linen turban. He shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, 
He shall wash his body in water and put them on, and he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids, two young baby goats, the goats as a sin offering, and a ram as a burnt offering. So we see right here that Aaron is instructed to be able to go into the holy place. You just couldn't go into the holy place like you normally are dressed as a high priest. If you remember, we studied high priests had quite the garment. I mean, it just decked out that that was designed by the designer himself, God Almighty, of how that was supposed to be worn. And he wore that in his priestly duties all the time until once a year when he was going into the Holy of Holies, he had to take that garment off. All of that special garment of the high priest came off and he put on a simple white linen clothes with a turban and a sash, just like the common people. Remember, he's going in to uh, offer uh, the blood from these animals as a burnt offering. He's going in there onto the mercy seat, and he's going to be putting the blood onto the mercy seat for the nation of Israel. And it only happened once a year. At a once, one time, once a year, by only one person, that's the high priest. So he was to down-dress into normal clothes, linen clothes, when he walked into the, on the other side of that veil. So Aaron must come with this, this uh, as we will uh, see, that uh, he will walk in in these holy garments, considered holy garments. They're not fancy. Most people think holy garments is something special. You have your robes on, and you've got your big old jewelry and tall hats, and oh, and now here comes the priest, you know, here comes the pastor or the reverend or whatever you're dressing, and, and you go, oh, he's in his holy garments. Well, when you got into God's presence, it wasn't about a holy garments and all this jewels and all this stuff and the and the getup that he had. He had to become like everybody else, just naturally coming in with simplicity. But with the blood of the young bull as a sin offering, we see that after he washes his body uh, there with the water, he put and he put that holy uh, garments on. He was shall take the congregation of the children of Israel and the two kid goats as a sin offering and a ram offering as a burnt offering. So we see that Aaron must be clothed right with humility, not some fancy clothes and making him some more special than anyone else. He was, we see that lined out, the fact that these ornament garments that he was wearing, according to God, was a glory and for beauty. We see that when we studied in Exodus chapter 28, verse 2. But here he humbly puts on these linen tunic and trousers, and he's going to be going in to, uh, to in this humble state with white garment going into the Holy of Holies. Just like Jesus, our high priest, laid aside the attributes of his divinity and to come in humbly to, uh, as, the, as, a, as, a, as a sacrifice, as an offering to God the Father, as we see. We also see the fact that after he's washed himself uh, traditionally there, Traditionally, it meant that he was fully immersed into the water to be cleansed. Again, see the connection to baptism in regards to even Jesus went to John the Baptist and he said, 
you're going to baptize me, meaning full immersions there. And uh, again, we see the depiction and, and the importance of that. We also see the fact that he shall take the congregation there, the children of Israel, the two kids of goats. And this is important as we go through this because there's importance of what he's going to do with those two goats. One will die, one will become a scapegoat, and that's very important to see the linkage there to Jesus Christ. So uh, follow along as we get to that part. Now, this was extensive preparation. This is the most important day of the entire annual time. And this ancient Jews of the Day of Atonement was called the Great Day. And the high priest, Aaron, would have to do all of this sacrifice. We're talking multiple sacrifices. We're talking 15 animals are killed and sacrificed on this day alone by the high priest through this process. That's incredible. And top of everything else, doing the ceremony aspect of it. And then you had the last uh, goat that he had to make sure it spends, he prays on and he sends it off. So keep in mind, this was a heavy-duty job responsibility as a high priest. And no one could help them during this process. When we get to verse 6 here, verse 6 through 10, we see that he's going to start going through, preparing the place and the sacrifices here. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Understand that. Notice that. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to sacrifice and do a sin offering to, for him. He had to be right before he went into to, to, to the presence of God. And make atonement for himself and for his house. So he's going in to represent his house, uh, his whole house and his whole uh, tribe there. He shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots. How they, that's how they use at that point in time. God somehow used those lots to determine what decision or what God's decision is in regards to some choice that needs to be made. So Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and one lot for the escape goat. So he cast lots. One was determined of the two goats, which one was going to be sacrificed for the Lord. The other goat was what was going to become the scapegoat. And that was important. Traditions, if you go back and do the study of this, it's, they were to bring two goats that were exactly almost identical. There should be no difference by the eye view between these two goats. So they had to make sure they could find two goats, same height, same weight, same look, same color, as best as you can to bring them in. Tradition shows that. And Aaron will shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offered as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and, it, and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness." So as we take a look at this and we see that this was in very, very important because it was going to make choices. One, he had to have a bull for, to deal with his sin and to make sure he's right and there was a covering for his sins uh, at that moment. Then he was going to take a goat and bring, present it to God because God chose between the two. He chose one and to sit and that would be sacrificed for the for the for. A sacrifice to the Lord and then the goat that was alive the scapegoat was going to be the one that was going to receive the sins of the nation of Israel and be set away alive and that's very important I'll repeat it a couple more times so you understand this as we get go we get through this uh, because he literally that goat that scapegoat is literally going to be the 
scapegoat, <laughs> not just scapegoat, scapegoat in regards to escape from death and went into the wilderness, uh, as we will see. Because the wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23, one goat will be killed. And because it, we, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We see that in 1 John 1.9, 1, one goat will be spared. Do you see the connections? Now we move to verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. And then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. That's the incense that we were talking about. And with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it into the veil. Inside it inside the veil and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die. So this was something you did not want to be left out. Can you imagine Aaron? This is one time a year you're to get this right. You better get this right, and you better do it exactly the timing and the way that God said. You know he had that little checklist there. Did Okay, do we have that done? Okay, do we have that ready? It's like a pilot taking off. to you know, Before you take off on that plane, you better have gone through your little pilot checklist before you take off. Because there's a consequence if you didn't and you forgot something. Are you tracking with me? So you know he's tracking every little detail to make sure this is exactly. And if you don't, there is a, a consequence, which was what? Death, And he shall make some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Don't forget that little note right there in your Bible. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So here we are. We have the, the, the he's, he's, he's killed the bull. He's doing the sin offering to cover himself, to uh, one minute, to uh, help him to be able to come to God. That is taken care of. He then takes the incense from the altar. He goes in. He fills that holy of holies. And you can see the cloud. You know that little room was just filled right up in regards to... Uh, that room of the Holy of Holies, and that, that is sweet-smelling aroma, as we know in the, in the Scripture. It's a form or a, a picture of prayer. That is what the incense is, is a sweet-smelling aroma. When we pray as a, a man and a woman, we're, or together we're praying, it's like a sweet-smelling aroma coming up to God. So it says that, make sure you make that picture and you know the Scripture for that. And he starts here, once he's done putting the incense in there, he takes the blood of the bull and he sprinkles it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. What does he do? He comes to the east side of the Ark of the Covenant, which the mercy seat sits on top, if you can, if you can picture this. Remember, the tabernacle and the temple, all of the, these uh, structures that God said to build always faced east. Here's the linkage that the Lord showed me while I was studying this week. He comes up to the east first. He sprinkles blood onto the mercy seat for the covering of sin, right? Are you with me? He then says, what does the scripture say? And then he walks 
around the mercy seat and stands before the mercy seat. Now he's on the west side. And he does what? Seven times he's sprinkling blood on the mercy seat for the what? For the forgiveness or the covering of the sin. Not only his, but for the people of Israel, right? Notice this, because it automatically, here's the prayer of him. He's walking in. He's got incense going on. He's praying. You know this man is praying. He's, he, matter of fact, tradition says that this is the only time that the high priest would actually walk in into this Holy of Holies one time a year, and they say traditionally it's the only time the high priest is allowed to actually say the name of God inside the Holy of Holies. It was never allowed to say on the outside. Matter of fact, you couldn't even write it. You would see today, we would say refer to it as YHWH. There was no vowels in there. You could not pronounce the name. We see that as a sacred Tetragrammaton, that's the formal name of for the pronunciation, or what we refer to as Y-A-H-W-H, the pronunciation of the name of God. That, by tradition, you can go back and research and see that they would come in, and that's the only time he would say that. The only other time is if he knew he was dying and he's passing over to the high, next high priest, they would quietly, secretly tell the new high priest what the name of God is. That's how sacred his name is. But notice here, so I do not forget this, is what the Lord is showing me. Here he is, he's coming in, he sprinkles, he's praying, doing the incense, constantly praying to the, the presence of God is right there in the Shekinah glory, right hovering right above the mercy seat. If you remember, the mercy seat was acacia, made of acacia wood, which did not decay, covered by gold, which is the divinity aspect of that, two cherubim, Flanked to the left and to the right of the actual uh, seat, and their wings came up to touch, and they're looking down in prayerful, uh, prayerful, humbled state. He's on the east side, giving a sprinkles uh, seven times on the mercy seat. He walks around on the, on the other side, the west side, does it again, and then it brings me to Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Did you catch it? I think that is an incredible thing. that I have never seen, as many times I've taught this and have talked about this, I have never seen until this week that the Lord showed me that he was on the east side to the west side and reminding us the sins that he was doing, the sprinkling of the blood that was the covering of the sins, reminds us for us is as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So he sits there and we see that he is sprinkling this blood onto the mercy seat and he looked down at the Ark of the Covenant. What does this high priest sees when he's sprinkling blood on the Ark of the Covenant? What is he thinking? What is he? He sees the. Uh, he saw the the um, the remembrance of the high priest knowing exactly what's in the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember what was placed in the Ark of the Covenant by God, telling Moses to do it? Manna which was Israel's complaining. We saw the ta tablets of uh, stone, the law, 
that was broken was, uh, that, was uh, that Israel broke, that broke the law, that was in there. And the, a budded almond rod given as a response to Israel's rebellion was also inside the Ark of the Covenant covered by the mercy seat and the blood sprinkled on top. It was a beautiful picture as we look at this. But again, Yom Kippur means to cover. Sin was not removed, just covered over by the sacrificial blood that is he was doing here um, that we see. In the New Testament, the New Testament idea of atonement is that our sin is not merely just covered, but removed taken away so there is no barrier between God and man any longer. So you have to always make the linkage between the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jesus Christ paid it all. It's finished. It's complete. It's not a one-year thing, only one time by one person, but it was by the perfect man, Jesus Christ, who did it for all, for completely, uh, for uh, never having to do again. Verse 15, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before, and, and on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he's doing the same thing. So he's back in again with his next offering. The goat, the blood that was putting on there was the sacrifice was also like who Jesus, right? His sacrifice there. The goat had to be spotless. It was from the people of Israel. We see that. It had to come from the people. It had to be chosen by God for that to be able to be sacrificed. Remember, God cast a lot. He chose the, who would be there to come in to, to, to be sacrificed. And the goat's blood was taken into the holy place to provide for atonement for the people. So you have to understand on the young Kampur here that when the disciples looked into the empty tomb, this is the second thing that the Lord really just highlighted to me that I did not make a connection with before, ever, in all the studying and all the time I've heard this taught. This same picture is what Jesus did for us. Can you imagine the disciples that Easter uh, Sunday morning, they run to the tomb because Mary Magdalene told them that the tomb was empty. They come running to the tomb. What, what happened at that morning, at the Easter morning or the resurrection Sunday morning? Do you remember? They looked in and they saw in one of the occasions in the, in the, um, in the Gospels, they saw who inside the tomb that spoke to them and to the ladies. Who did they see? They would have seen the slab of rock that they would have placed his body on and all the blood that was coming out of him and would have been soaked on that slab. You would have saw the blood. You would have saw that remnants of the blood coming from his body in that tomb. That's significant because on that, on that slab that he laid on, don't, remember, don't forget, there was what? angels on one side and the other of that place he his body was placed do you see the connection with the mercy seat two cherubims looking down humbly where the mercy seat the blood would be placed do you see that i, I when i saw that this week i was in i was just like Ooh, lord thank you for uh bringing that to light to me 
because it shows the perfect picture of the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant in relationships to Jesus Christ. Uh, and his in his his death and his res, his burial and resurrection. Verse sixteen, and he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. Remember, they're still unclean. Any time they were touching the dead body or the dead carcasses of the goats or the bulls or anything, they had to go back and rewash. They had to go back and take care of that. that you just couldn't come back in like that. So we can see that that was uncleanliness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meaning when he goes in to make atonement for, to in the holy place. Make a note of that. The high priest was all alone. There was no one there anywhere to be seen or to see what was taking place. He had to be all alone to do this work. Jesus Christ was also all alone. So what happens here? When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of, of Israel, and he shall go out to, to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and it shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleansing it and consecrating it, from the uncleanliness of the children of Israel. So this blood was applied to the mercy seat. It was also that uh, the tabernacle and the altar itself had to be cleansed. So it wasn't just the mercy seat. We see here the tabernacle had to be cleaned, had to be cleaned. Remember, it's been sacrificing every single day, right? It's a bloody place. It's, a, not a, it's not just one of those places you can just sit down and have a nice little meal, right? Because this place was blood every going everywhere. But God said, the day of atonement, you better clean this place up. You better sacrifice. You better cleanse it. And it better be the altar better be cleansed. The place where you're going to wash. The, temp, the tabernacles itself, it better be cleansed on the day of atonement. And they sure did. This blood cleansed the house of God itself and was made ceremonially unclean by the man's constant touching as they were going around, and it had to be followed up and continued to be cleansed. The priest Aaron was not was all alone in the holy place, and there's the connection with Jesus Christ was also alone to do the work of atonement on that cross for us and bringing us into oneness with the Heavenly Father. And that is why the cross of Calvary, he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46. Jesus was all alone at that time when the sin was placed upon him. And the Heavenly Father turned his back toward that sin that was placed on his son. He was completely alone, for he alone could pay the price, and only he could pay the price. In the Revelation, you know, when they said, who can open up the scrolls? Who is worthy to open up the scrolls? What was the answer? Only Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. You know, sometimes in the ministry, 
you find yourself in the ministry, whatever God's called you to do. And there are times in your life as you're being a father or a mother, whatever that God's called you and has a calling in your life, and you feel all alone in the ministry that God's called you to do. There could be people all around you, but you have the sense that you just feel all alone. Jesus understands. Jesus understands. Come to him. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You're never alone. You're always, as a child of God, he is with you. You just have to remember that, that he has not left you. We see here in verse 20, and when he has made an end of the, of the toning of the holy place, the tabernacle, the meeting, and the altar. He shall bring a live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the heads of the head of the live goat, confess uh, over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all the transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the of a suitable. A man, the goat shall bear it uh, itself, all their iniquities, to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Uh, this section again gives me another one of those aha moments uh, of of linking what I have again I've never put t- together, and just what a what a, an awesome moment here because after the high priest's sin was dealt with. After the sin of his household was dealt with, after the tabernacle itself was cleansed, Aaron then dealt with the sin of the people, the nation of Israel, through the transfer of sin and release on the transfer of sin and release onto this scapegoat. How did he do that? Well, after we see here, after he killed it, as he sat there, he laid his hands, both hands, on this live goat, right? He didn't kill this goat. The other goat was killed for the sacrifice. But this one, now for the people, he's laying his hands on. He's praying to God. It says, and he's confessing all of the sins of the nation of Israel. Can you imagine how long that must have been? For a whole year, he is literally confessing and, and, and communicating all the transgressions and the things that took place in the nation of Israel. He's praying for, to God to forgive and to transfer the sins onto this live goat by laying the hands on it. That was the role of the high priest. I hope you make the connection here because this is a beautiful picture. Because as he's laying his hands on this goat and he's transferring the sins of the nation of Israel onto this scapegoat, it's releasing the sin or identifying the sin, the confession of sin for God as we will see as this goat leaves, it will be taking the sin away from the people. So you had the One goat that died, the blood covered the sin. Now you have the live goat who's going to take the sin and it's going to disappear and never be seen again. I'm going to say it again so you make the connection because it's so relevant for you and I as a believer. This was the perfect demonstration of atonement under the Old Old Covenant. 
before the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Sin could be put away, but never really eliminated. The sin-bearing goat that he just laid his hands on, bearing the sin of Israel, was alive somewhere, but put away to never be seen again in Israel. The sin was put away, but not completely. How could one know for certain if you're a Jewish person sitting there knowing once a year the high priest is going to be praying, laying his hands on this goat, the goat's going to disappear. How did you know as a Jewish person that that goat wasn't going to come back? How did you know? Because that goat's still alive. What happens if he comes back? That means our sins are coming back. We won't be forgiven. All these kinds of things can be put in there. That's why that scapegoat had to wander out into the wilderness so that the, that young little goat, that kid goat, would die and not come back. But when Jesus' blood, red body, rose from the dead, clothed with white garments, as we see in the scripture, it was proof forever that the red had changed to white, as white as snow. And the atonement at the cross was perfect and complete. They did not have the 100% assurance that that goat wasn't coming back, even though they made sure that that goat never came back. But we, knowing that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was, take, who's, who was slain for us, when he rose from the dead, we knew that the sacrifice to the Father was accepted. Why? Because he was, Jesus was alive. But remember, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, did the sprinkling of the blood, if he didn't go do it properly... If it wasn't accepted by the Father, the, by God himself, what was going to happen? The high priest would have died in the Holy of Holies. They only know that God accepted the sin offering for the covering of the sins if the high priest came back out of the Holy of Holies and the goat didn't come back from the wilderness. So they're always wondering if God's going to accept this, this sacrifice of the high priest or this goat that was going out was going to be accepted for them as the, as the nation of Israel. But you and I have the absolute assurance that everything was complete. It's finished because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is what? Alive. The sacrifice that Jesus did for you and I was acceptable to the Heavenly Father, the just God. Notice this. Make the connections here. Because the scapegoat is the illustration of God's declaration that He will remember our sins and our iniquities no more. We see that in Jeremiah 31, chapter 31, verse 34. And so when we see this, when the understanding of that this final moment where he is placing his hands on there. So many times, people who give their life to Christ, they struggle with their past sins. 
They struggle with the fact that they still struggle today and, and, and sin today. Even though they know they gave their life to Jesus, they know they've been forgiven, but they, they almost see this, this sense of um, belief that God is like Santa Claus. That somehow God is like Santa Claus every day, checking the list once, checking the list twice to see if you've been naughty or nice. But that's not how our God is. God is not like Santa Claus here. God is a God who says that I do not keep score of what you're doing or not doing that is naughty or nice. I have forgiven you. Are you with me? He paid the price. It's called propitiation. That's the, that's the goat that died and the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. The live goat is justification. That means you just as you've never sinned before. That's the live goat that goes out and disappears and never to return. Never to be seen again. Are you with me? So, we must remember that it's so easy to remember other people's sins. We can look at people's lives and see other people's sin, but God has chosen to erase the sins we have confessed, and he does not see them in us. They're gone. Most people know this doctrine of truth, of, of uh, propitiation, the payment of our sins. We understand justification, the doctrine of that. We understand that. But because we don't believe in the deepest part of our soul, especially when you first get saved, they believe that God is disappointed in them and disappointed in us because of what happened a year ago or what happened 10 years ago or what happened 10 weeks ago or 10 minutes ago. You think God is disappointed in you. And so you struggle with your, your belief and understanding in the depths of your soul that you've been forgiven. That it's been not only paid for, but it's been gone. It's disappeared. It's into the, it went to the wilderness. It's no longer. Isaiah 44, 22. God says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud, your transgressions, and like a cloud, your sins return to me, for I have redeemed you. I've redeemed you. You're, it's it's you're, your mind. Job 14, 17. My transgressions is sealed up in a bag, and you cover my iniquity. Micah 7, 19. God will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will not see them. They're gone. They're, they're buried. So remember, the scapegoat is it pictured symbolically and temporarily. The, temporarily. It's just a temporary solution. It's just a symbolic solution. Waiting for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to come who will be the Lamb of God who will achieve what God is picturing in the Old Testament Leviticus uh, of the practical and eternal death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for each and every sin of all of humanity. And you need to see that connections there of the fulfillment of that. Also, when the goat was released into the wilderness, this is what our, God showed me the third thing in this study, which is 
absolutely just, I was so excited. So let me share it with you. When that live goat, after laying the hands and transferring the sin through prayer onto that head of that goat, and the goat was then ushered out, keep in mind, it went left the tabernacle, down the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, and out into the wilderness. Right? We just read that. Did you make the connection? Jesus' very last time in Jerusalem was where? In the tabernacle. He walked out of the tabernacle, we see in the scripture. He walked down through the Kidron Valley, up through the Mount of Olives, out into what? Bethany, the wilderness. And that is when he was then ascended into heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father. We see that in Luke chapter 24, verse 50 and 51. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I just, it's just, again, I think Leviticus is my favorite book. I really, I'm just, I'm really having fun with this, this, this scripture here. And yes, we're going to wrap it up here. Let's just see if we can get through this as fast as we can here. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting and shall take off the linen garments which he put on. So now we're going to see verses 23 through 28 where there's a completion of all these sacrifices that were going to be taking place. He's going to be taking his garments on, garments off. He's going to be doing all kinds of things, doing the burnt offerings and all the atonements for himself and the people. And in verse 23, we have to remember how important it is a reminder for us as well serving God, especially in the ministry. We must declare the blood of Christ before we serve, and we must declare the blood after we serve. What do I mean by that? Before I come up and do any, uh, throughout the week, I'm praying constantly to God that it's your blood, it's your, it's your blood, Jesus, that gives us the opportunity for me to come and serve and to teach your word. Apart from your blood, I could not do this. And it's only by your blood and the covering of your blood that is going to have any power of the Holy Spirit to go out and do the work of the teaching of your word. That would be the same thing with Mark and, and coming up here and leading in worship. We pray before we come of the blood of Christ to cover and do the work that he wants to do. But here's the thing in ministry that we're always taught. And it's the same thing for you as you serve in the children's ministry or serve in ushering and, and do whatever you're doing for God. You must, after you do the ministry, the service, what do the high priests do and what do they do? They had to be cleansed again by the blood because you must be right with God even after the work that you're doing in ministry. Why is that important? Because as soon if I'm not declaring the blood of Jesus and the work of Jesus all about Jesus, after I teach, what will happen to me? Happens to everybody in the ministry. Immediately Satan will do one of two things to me. He will say, you really messed up. You know you went way too long. You know you missed the key points. You know you didn't do this. And you know people were not tracking. You know this. He will constantly bombard my, but I give it to Jesus because it's all about Jesus, isn't it? Or it could be the opposite. I could walk off and say, that was the best teaching man. The spirit was moving. Oh, God, I'm so, how could you do this without me? It could be the opposite pendulum swing of pride. 
in that regards. That's why you must have the blood of Christ cleanse you before you go into service to serve him in however capacity and you must continue to rely upon the blood of Jesus Christ for the, of the fact that he has forgiven you and he's cleansed you as white as snow. Then we see in verse 25 again the offerings in the, the burnt offerings on the altar, uh, the freshness, the, everything they need to do here after, after releasing the scapegoat, the high priest and one who released it of the scapegoat washed themselves and the sin offering, the burnt offering was complete. And they were again taking off the linen garments, putting back on the, the traditional uh, high priest garment. And, uh, and we see that played out through those verses. Verses 29 through 31, people on the Day of Atonement, this shall be a statue forever for you. It took place on the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls, which means you need to sacrifice uh, your, your life there in some form or fashion, and you are to do no work at all. And if you continue, it didn't matter if you were part of the nation or if you were a foreigner and you happened to be in town, you were not allowed to work on that day of atonement. But you were to sacrifice. And again, today they can't sacrifice, but they do that traditionally through Yom Kippur by fasting and praying on that day and not working. That's what they do today. And, uh, and notice at the very end there, verse 31, it's a sol- it is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you. You shall not, you shall afflict your souls, and it is a statue forever. This is something they were to always keep going and doing there during this period of time. Verse 32 through 34 says, The high priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes and the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meetings and and for the altar. And he shall make the atonement for the priests and all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statue for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So again, all of this coming at the very end, and I'm going to give you one uh, key verse here out of Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. And it says, uh, because each year, every year, year after year, the atonement had to be made, and and it's showing this, you know, was never complete until Jesus Christ. But it says here, in contrast, that Jesus provided that finished work, right? He says, For Christ has not entered the holy place, places made with hands, which are copies of the true. He didn't go into tabernacles to do this, right? Those were made by man. He, it was his own body. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once the, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, as it is appointed for man to die once. But after this, judge, after this, the judgment, so Christ offered once to bear the sins of many, 
to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. We see that again in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 through 28. So I encourage you to go back and ponder on those verses. Very important of the linkage of what we're talking about is the day of atonement. There's no question in my mind, and I hope there's no question in your mind, of the certainty that I am forgiven of all my sins. That you have been forgiven because of our high, our great high priest, Jesus Christ, came out of the tomb and he is alive. I really do hope that is why you know that you're forgiven. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and he is alive to show that that sins was received as the payment or propitiation for, the, for your sins. Therefore, the book of Hebrews declares in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of the work of atonement has been accomplished completely and perfectly by Jesus Christ, God invites us specifically and personally to come into the Holy of Holies, into his, what? Throne. Why? Because the stone is rolled away, the veil is torn in two, the way is open for you to receive, to believe. He just says, come on in. You can come on in because there is no barrier for you to come into the presence of your heavenly father for every need you have. Amen.